Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Gathered Worship at Faith Bible Church. As you make your way in today to find a seat, you'll notice that uh, the seats are spread out a little farther than usual. We're not having you skip rows, but uh, to make it easier to get in and get into the middle of a row, we've spaced these out and hope those accommodate you well. Uh, Whether you're online, uh, joining us online, or whether you're here in person, uh, we're glad that uh, Gathered Worship is an important part of your, of your weekly rhythm, and we hope to be a blessing uh, to you today. If you're a guest with us, which we've had a lot of guests here uh, in the last month or so, Uh, We invite you to the Welcome Center out in the lobby. So after the service, as you make your way out, stop by the Welcome Center. Uh, We'd love to get you any information about Faith Bible Church uh, that you might need. An important announcement. Two weeks ago, I announced a new staff member here at Faith Bible Church, Tanya Zuniga. She's our Director of Women's Ministry and Missions, and she's been hard at work these last couple of weeks, uh, and we're so excited to have her on board. Uh, Another announcement that I provided that day was that we had hired a uh, worship pastor, uh, and I didn't tell you his name at the time, so it was kind of a cryptic announcement. I apologize for that. Uh, But today, I get to tell you his name, uh, and we're excited that uh, Joel Mott will begin uh, Sunday, September 6th. Now you guys are all searching for him on your phones right now. I understand what's going on. Uh, But Joel's first Sunday will be September 6th, so that's Labor Day uh, weekend, but we're excited for him to, to come on board and lead us on that day. Joel is originally from uh, Midwest City. Uh, he's an OU Sooner, for those of you that care about that kind of thing. Uh, he lived in Edmond for a short time um, uh, as well, years ago, 10, 15 years ago. But he's moving to uh, Edmond from Houston, Texas. So uh, he's got a long move here in the next few weeks. want to pray for him. want to pray for his wife, Lori. Uh, they have two boys still in the home. One's a junior in high school. One's an eighth grader. So lots of transitions going to be happening for Joel over the next few weeks. So just pray for the Mott's pray for the sale of their home in Houston, pray pray for their uh, uh, finding a home here and getting settled uh, in the Edmond community. Just wanted to announce that to you, and we'll be giving you more biographical information and other things as uh, as the days and weeks move along. The call to worship, I'm going to actually use the opening question from the Heidelberg Catechism. And the Heidelberg Catechism was a catechism published in 1563 originally. Uh, And the opening question to that catechism is, what is our only hope in life and death? And the answer is that we are not our own, but belong body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that answer is rooted in Romans 14, verses 7 and 8. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord. That's our call to worship. Why don't you stand, and we'll sing together.
what a good hope that is, that we have a Savior, Jesus Christ. In Hebrews, it says that he, he is a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses, and we have confidence to come before the throne of our Father because of that. Um, so we're going to sing this wonderful hymn, "'Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus Together," with that in mind.
Well, welcome to Faith Bible Church. It's great to be with you here this morning on uh, this Lord's Day. It's great to be back. Uh, Cheryl and I have been out in uh, New Mexico the last couple weeks where it's really cool, but I, I know we had some cool weather back here, so that was a wonderful blessing for all of you all. And uh, it's just, it's great to be back. It's good to go away, as you all know, but it's always wonderful to be back. I was driving away from church here about 5.30 or 6 o'clock on Friday and just kind of went around the building and just a reminder to me of what a privilege it is for, for Cheryl and I to serve here at this church. Um, it's a great blessing and we appreciate it. We love being uh, the, serving here at the church and uh, it's a great privilege to be your pastor. I want you all to know how much that means to us. And when we're away, we really miss you all so much. And I appreciate Jay's uh, teaching the last couple weeks in Jonah, uh, Jonah chapters 3 and 4. Uh, those sermons on Jonah ministered uh, to Cheryl and I as we listened to those as we were away. So I want to thank Jay for his ministry. Well, I've, uh, I've mentioned here for several weeks now that we're going to begin a study on the book of Daniel, and we plan on beginning that next Sunday. So we're going to begin an exposition of the book of Daniel that will carry us through this year and on into the beginning of next year. So uh, Daniel's a great book for these times that we find ourselves in today. So I'm very excited about this study, and if you know someone who doesn't have a church home, um, invite them to get online and watch or to come and be part of this study of the book of Daniel. It's, uh, it's a great study. Uh, for these times in which we find ourselves today. But uh, this morning, I want to bring a message from Matthew chapter 6 uh, that I pray will be a blessing to all of us in uh, these days that we're all navigating together. So if you'll take your Bible and uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, our text for this morning is verses 25 to 34, uh, where Jesus uh, speaks to us about worry. Before we open the Word together, though, let's go before the throne of grace this morning and uh, lift up our hearts before the Lord. Father, we remember the words of the psalmist who says, Incline thine ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I'm afflicted and needy. No, Father, we come before you today and we recognize that we're needy people. Lord, we need you for our health. We need you for our marriages. We need you for our families and our children. We need you for our businesses, for our ministries that you've given to us. We need you for this church. And Father, we need you for our nation. We look to you, Lord, in these times in which we find ourselves. We pray for our leaders today all over the country, the mayors and governors and legislators and our president. We pray for these upcoming elections. Lord, you know the outcome. You're the one who lifts up rulers and brings them down. But we come and we beseech you, O God to help us to come to the end of ourselves as a nation and to, to look to you and to trust in you. Father, we remember that great promise of Scripture you give that call upon me and I will answer you and I'll show you great and mighty things which you do not know. So, Father, we ask now that you'd show us great and mighty things um, as we seek you together as a people. Father, thank you for taking care of our greatest need through Jesus Christ, for providing pardon from all of our sins. Now, as we open your inspired word together, we pray that you'll speak to us through your word, that you'll use your word in our lives this morning to encourage the downcast, to humble the proud, to strengthen the weak, and for all of us, Father, to transform us more and more into the image of your dear Son and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. As you look around our world today, so many people are worried and wound up about so many things. I think we all see it, we all sense it everywhere in our culture. And if you find yourself worrying more and more these days, I, I've got a simple word for you this morning, stop it. <laughs> stop worrying. Now you might say, well, that's pretty blunt and kind of naive just to make a statement like that. But we're going to see here in Matthew 6 this morning, that's exactly what Jesus tells his followers. Stop worrying. Let me read beginning here in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you can, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, 
you of little faith. Do not worry then, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. May the Lord write his eternal word on our hearts this morning. For many years, there was a woman who had trouble sleeping at night because she always imagined that there were as a burglar downstairs uh, making off with all of their stuff. And every noise uh, woke her up at night worrying about burglars. And one night, she thought she heard a noise downstairs, and she woke up her husband for him to go check it out. And so he went downstairs to investigate. And when he got there, to his surprise, he did actually find a burglar. And he said to him, I'm so happy to see you. Will you please come upstairs and meet my wife? She's been waiting 10 years to meet you. Now, all joking aside, though, a burglar can steal from you once, but worry can steal uh, from you day after day and night after night. A worry can, can pilfer your peace. It can steal your sleep. It can hijack your health. It can make off with your happiness. And it can strip your relationship with God of its power and its pleasure. Worry is a thief, and when it trespasses and invades the heart, it brings a lot of other accomplices with it, like discouragement and depression and despair and distraction. And yet, sadly, we open the door to this thief and his accomplices on a regular basis. We worry about all kinds of things. And as Americans, we worry about the moral and spiritual condition of our nation. We worry about the upcoming election. In fact, I was reading an article that said there's actually a, a new uh, disease called election stress disorder. And we worry about the national debt, and on and on we could go. Um, as parents and grandparents, we worry about the toxic environment our children are facing. We worry about the whole situation right now with educating children and schools and all that goes into uh, what's happening with COVID-19. As individuals, we worry about our health, our job, our retirement, our family, our safety, our future, our walk with God. Now, the list is almost endless. And I think all of us would agree today that worry is a national epidemic. It's a virus of the soul. And we see it everywhere. Fear and anxiety hold millions of people in their clutches. I've been watching and, and doing some reading on this this week, watching different programs. And the other night on one of the, the cable news programs, the, the anchor said, anxiety and depression are at an all-time high. And there's all kinds of statistics I could rattle off to support this, but some of you may have just seen this last week some startling statistics from the CDC. It says one quarter of young adults have contemplated suicide during this pandemic. Think about that. One out of four young adults. One out of ten Americans in general have contemplated and considered suicide uh, through this pandemic. Uh, drug overdoses are up 30 to 40 percent as people are just trying to cope with the mounting pressure and stress of life. Look, this is an age of anxiety. We live in days of depression. Uh, we live in a world of worry. So it's fitting this morning, I believe, for us to go back again to these timeless words of Jesus that he gave in the Sermon on the Mount about worry. Jesus knows what a big problem worry is. And by the way, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, one-seventh of the Sermon on the Mount is about worry. One out of seven verses in the Sermon on the Mount is about worry. And I think that's illuminating and instructive. Jesus knows that worry is one of the greatest temptations we face. So in these verses, you can see in your outline there this morning, Jesus gives us six reasons to stop worrying. And so let's begin here in verse 25. The first reason to stop worrying is very simple. Worry is ungodly. It's ungodly. It's unlawful. It's unholy. Now, you notice verse 25 begins, at least in, in the New American Standard, it begins for this reason. Now, some of your translations may say, therefore, but clearly, uh, Jesus here is connecting this section with what he's just said before. And Jesus has just finished in the preceding section talking about money and talking about masters. Remember what he says, no one can serve two masters. You'll hate the one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God uh, and money. So Jesus' point there is all of us were made to serve a master. 
And of course, the key to life is finding our true master, uh, God Himself. But His point here is if money is our master, then you're going to have all kinds of things to worry about in life. But if God is our master, then we have nothing to worry about. So I think that's the connection with what's gone before here in the preceding section. Now, based on that, Jesus gives a blanket ban against worry. No excuses. Notice what he says, do not be worried. Now, actually, the best way to translate that in the Greek is stop worrying. He's not saying don't start doing something you haven't started, but he's saying stop doing something that you're doing. So he's not just saying don't worry, literally, it's stop worrying. It's assumed that these people, uh, these believers were worrying. And of course, back in that day, people lived from hand to mouth. Uh, The vast majority of people had no bank account. They, They were paid each day and bought what they needed. So when he talks here about food and drink and clothing, it was a real temptation for them every day to be worried about God's provision, God's provision for them. You think about how much more we have today, and yet how much uh, we worry. But he says here, stop worrying, literally cut it out or stop it. Now, six times in these verses, we find the Greek word for worry. And three times, Jesus says, stop worrying or don't worry. Notice verse 25, do not be worried. Notice down in verse 31, do not worry then. Down in verse 34, so do not worry. So worry on the part of a follower of Jesus Christ is forbidden. Worry is a moral issue. It's a sin. It's ungodly. It's unlawful. And that's challenging to us today because worry is not just a mistake. It's not just a a character flaw or a tendency that some people have. A worry is a sin. We try to dress it up. But according to the Bible, worry is a sin because Jesus says stop worrying. That means to worry is to violate his command, which is a sin. I like the way one person put it. This is kind of catchy, but it's really easy to remember. Worry as we might, it's never right. It's pretty good, isn't it? Worry as we might, it's never right. It's never right to worry. Now, there's a very important distinction we need to make here this morning, and we need to get this down in our minds. It's important for us to distinguish between what we might call good worry and bad worry. Some of you say, well, I've never heard that before. Well, there's something that we might call good worry, which we could also translate or interpret as concern or care. So there's concerned worry that's good, but there's corrupted worry that's bad. In other words, good worry can go bad. There are a lot of things for us to legitimately be concerned about and care about. We ought to be concerned about our marriages. We ought to be concerned about our children and grandchildren and their spiritual condition. We ought to be concerned about maybe aging parents. We ought to be deeply concerned about our own spiritual life and our walk with God. We ought to be concerned about the future and the welfare of our nation. We ought to be concerned about this ongoing pandemic. And on and on we could go. There are all kinds of things in life for you and for me to legitimately be concerned about and to care about. And in fact, not being concerned and caring about those things, I think, is also wrong. But the same Greek word is translated um, worry in some contexts or anxiety or being anxious. In other places, it's translated care or concern. For instance, in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight, the apostle Paul says, besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Paul had a great legitimate concern about all the churches he'd founded. It's the same Greek word that's translated worry in other places. Philippians 2.20, Paul says, I have no one else like him, speaking of Timothy, who will show genuine concern for your welfare. So again, it's the same Greek word that's used for concern or care that's translated other places as wrong, being anxiety or worry. So all of us have legitimate, uh, genuine concerns at times, and there are a lot of things that you and I should be burdened about and that we ought to care about in life. And again, I think to not be concerned and care about those things is wrong. But genuine concern can quickly degenerate into godless worry. Good worry can go bad. 
What we don't want in life is good worry gone bad. So you say, well, how do I know when good worry or concern that I have or care has gone bad and come into this realm of worry? Well, let me give you just three symptoms of bad worry that I think we see in Scripture. One is if you find yourself constantly distracted by it and preoccupied. In other words, it comes and just takes over and dominates your mind and your heart. You find your mind distracted and your energy dissipated. You're lying in bed flopping around at night, restless and sleepless nights, and you feel yourself pulled apart, like you're being pulled in different directions. It's actually what the word here, worry, means. It's to be restless and distracted. You're kind of like a, a flag out there twisting in the wind. It kind of just makes you feel unstable and unsettled. You can almost even, some of us, I know you've experienced this before and you're really worrying. It's almost like a spiritual choking feeling, like the, the, the life is just being choked out of you. We all know that feeling, and, and I'll tell you this, I know the difference between concern and care in my life and worry. I know when I've moved from a concern about something, a legitimate concern, uh, to worry, when it begins to dominate and take over and preoccupy my life. Someone described worry like this. Worry is a small trickle of fear that meanders through the mind, cutting a channel into which, which all other thoughts flow. When you begin to worry, everything in life just begins to flow downhill into that channel, and you can't get out of it. That's one symptom that good worry has gone bad. A second sign good worry has gone bad is diminished trust in God. God begins to seem far away. He begins to seem distant, and you're not trusting Him and holding to Him and clinging to Him because that's what we're going to see a little bit further on here that worries unbelief. When you feel yourself drifting away from God and not trusting in Him, good worry's gone bad. And a final thing that we'll talk about here in a moment as well is you find yourself living in the future. You find yourself unable to get back to the present. You feel yourself trapped in tomorrow like a, a, an episode of Back to the Future or something. You're trapped in the future, trapped tomorrow, and you can't get back. So look in the Bible. True concern is commended, but anxiety is condemned. And it takes maturity to keep that in balance. You and I want to be people who have concern about things happening in our world and our lives and to have care about that. But we don't want to be people who worry. Uh, David Jeremiah puts it like this. He says, you don't need to worry about being concerned, but you do need to be concerned about being worried. It's a pretty good way to put it. So the first reason to stop worrying is very simple. It's ungodly. It's unlawful. It's a sin. So make sure you don't let good worry go bad um, in your heart and your life. Now, second reason to stop worrying here is worry is unbecoming. We see this from the middle of verse 25 down through verse 26. Worry's unsuitable and unfitting and unbecoming of God. And he uses a couple of illustrations here to make this point. The first one, the end of verse 25, is an argument from the greater to the lesser. It's an argument from the greater to the lesser. Notice he says, Why are you worried about what you'll eat or drink, nor for, uh, nor for your body as to what you will put on? Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? The implication here is that God has given us life. God has given us a body. And for those of us who are believers, God has given us spiritual life. And the argument from the greater to the lesser is, if God has given you life and He's given you a body, surely He'll give you the lesser things to take care of that body, the food and the drink and the clothing. Why would God give life and not give the lesser things to sustain that life? If God does the big thing, then we can expect Him and count upon Him to do the little thing. Uh, this coming fall will be uh, 35 years ago that Cheryl and I got engaged. And uh, I remember, remember it like it was yesterday when we went to, to get uh, the, the ring, get her, her ring. And we went to this jeweler, and a lot of you are married. You, you probably remember that well. And you go in there and you look around and they bring out, you know, the black cloth and they explain all the stuff about diamonds and all of that to you. And then you shell out a pretty good, pretty good amount of money, right, for that diamond, for that ring. And I remember when we went there, they, they had the ring and we went back and got it and it was ready. And they put it in a nice, beautiful box. 
Now, the box was really nice. I mean, it may have cost $10 or $20. I don't know. It was a nice box, but I didn't have to beg the jeweler to give me the box with the ring, right? I mean, if you, if you buy the ring and you spend thousands of dollars for the ring, you can kind of expect that the lesser thing is going to come with it, right? At least a box uh, to put it in. And that's the point Jesus is making here. When we get life, we get the stuff that goes with it. And when we get spiritual life, we get the stuff that goes with it as well. Romans 8, the Apostle Paul says, if God didn't spare his own son, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? God has given us his son, the gift of forgiveness and eternal life. How can we ever imagine that God wouldn't give us the lesser things? But he goes on in verse 26 now and gives a second illustration. And this is an argument not from the greater to the lesser, but from the lesser to the greater. This was a a rabbinic device. Rabbis used this. It was called from the light to the heavy. Now, those of you that like these kind of things, it's called an a fortiori argument. I remember I learned that term in law school. But it's how much more. In other words, if God does this lesser thing, how much more can we believe he'll do the greater thing? And what he's saying here, look at the birds of the air, that they don't sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? In other words, it's a how much more argument. If God cares for sparrows and blue jays and robins, how much more will he care for us? Now, birds work hard. Birds don't just sit around waiting for something to drop into their mouths. They're busy and they're working, but they don't worry. And we need to be responsible and we need to work hard, but we need to recognize in all of that that we live under the canopy of God's fatherly care. Someone put it like this, God doesn't love his pets more than his people. God takes care of his pets, the birds of the air. God will surely take care of his people. If he does the lesser, we can trust him to do the greater. He will take care of us so we don't need to worry. He's our heavenly father. Let me just say this this morning. For this to be true, you have to be God's child. Now think about this. If you're here this morning and you don't know God through a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're an orphan. You're a spiritual orphan. You're on your own. The only way that you have God as your father is through coming to him through his son, Jesus Christ. You say, well, how do I get into God's family and have God as my father? What, did, what does uh, the apostle John say? But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. The way you become one of God's children is by believing in Jesus Christ and trusting in him. And I pray that you've done that. If you never have, right where you sit now, you can take Jesus to be your Savior. Believe in Him, the one who died on the cross for you and rose again. You can receive uh, the free gift of eternal life uh, that you have through Him. What a tragic way to go through life, though, as, a, as an orphan with no heavenly Father to take care of you. If you want Him as your Father this morning, you can take Him and believe in Him and trust Him. You know, one of the tragic things or sad things about worry is worry undervalues our value to God. It undervalues our value to God. God created us. He cares for us. Jesus died for us. We're the pinnacle of his creation back in Genesis. Will God feed and take care of the birds and leave his children to fend for themselves? When we worry, that's what we're expressing. It's unbecoming of God. So worry's ungodly. It's unbecoming. But a third reason to stop worrying is it's unproductive. Notice verse 27. And who of you by being worried can add a single hour to his life? Worry is a colossal waste of time and energy. It doesn't work. Now, we all know that, don't we? I mean, we're not that foolish to think that worry somehow changes things. We all know it doesn't work, yet we go back to it again and again. And the only thing worry really accomplishes is putting God out of the picture. It's really all it does. It doesn't produce a thing. It's, it's a lot of work for nothing. Y'all probably heard this old story before, that, or this old saying, that worries like a rocking chair. It doesn't get you anywhere, but it gives you something to do. That's the way a lot of people are. They just like to have something to do, even though they know it's not getting them anywhere. But Jesus says here, stop it. It's unproductive. It's pointless. It's fruitless. It's senseless. Worry has no positive side effects. Now, in verse 27, when he says you can't add a cubit, uh, you can't add a single hour to your life, 
That's translated in different translations variously. It can refer either to time, adding time to your life, or it can refer to adding height uh, to your body. So it can refer to a span of time, or it can refer to stature. Um, To me, it makes more sense here that it's referring to adding time to your life because the word there is cubit, and a cubit's the length of your forearm, about 18 inches, and most people wouldn't think they could add 18 inches to their height. But they might have this idea that somehow they can add time uh, to their life. But the point here is either way, worry can't add an inch to your height or a minute to your life. It's worthless. John Stott, in his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, says this. This is good. He says, worry is distrustful of our Heavenly Father, and it is frankly stupid. So next time you find yourself worrying, what you need to tell yourself is, this is stupid. I know my grandkids tell me you're not supposed to say that, but we'll say that here in church this morning about worry. Worry is stupid. It doesn't do anything. There's a story about a preacher one time that preached strenuously about worry and how it didn't do anything. It was no good and unproductive. But one of his members came up afterwards and said, Pastor, I don't care what you say. I know worry works because when I worry about something, it doesn't happen. Well, that doesn't mean the worry worked. It simply proves that most things we worry about don't ever happen anyway. I was uh, doing some reading this week and ran across an article, and it says this. 500 years ago, Michelle de Montaigne said, my life has been filled with terrible misfortune, most of which never happened. And then the article goes on and says, 85% of what people worry about never happens. And with the 15% that did happen, 80% of people discovered either they could handle the difficulty better than expected or the difficulty taught them a lesson that was worth learning. That means that 97% of what you worry about is not much more, listen to this, than a fearful mind punishing you with exaggerations and misperceptions. That's what worry is. And Jesus knew that a long time ago. So he says worry is ungodly, it's unbecoming, it's unproductive. And the fourth reason to stop worrying is worrying is unbelief. Uh, Jesus here in verse 28 through 30 gives another example or illustration from nature, and it's another argument from the lesser uh, to the greater. Now, notice down at the end of verse 30, the very simple point that Jesus is making here is worry is antitrust. Worry is antitrust. It's a lack of trust in God. Now, notice the end of verse 30. He says, you of little faith. Now, that's actually one word in the Greek language. And it's actually a hard word to translate. In fact, you might write there out in the margin of your Bible if you like to do that. It's literally the word little faiths. It's a compound word, little faiths. Notice what he says. Will he not much more clothe you, little faiths? Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a little faith. I don't want to be included in that category. But his point here simply is, worry is incompatible with faith. You cannot trust God and worry at the same time. And worry questions the character of God. It questions the character of God. Worry is unbelief, but worse than that, it's unbelief in the face of all the evidence of God's care. It's not just unbelief, but it's unbelief in the face of all of the evidence of the gracious care of God. I mean, we see it every day in God's creation, His faithful care of His creation and His creatures. We see how He takes care of the birds and the flowers and the grass. And His point here is that grass is passing, but people are permanent. And if God so arrays the flowers and the fields, won't He take care of His children? It's an argument, again, from the lesser to the greater. Our Father is the omnipotent creator, the covenant-keeping God. We can trust Him to take care of the concerns of life. In his book on the Sermon on the Mount, Haddon Robinson puts it like this. This is really uh, searching. Some people have sufficient faith to believe God will get them to heaven, but not enough to believe that He can get them through the next 24 hours. That's searching, isn't it? We, we claim to be people that we believe God can get us to heaven through Jesus Christ. But often we don't have enough faith to believe He'll get us through the next 24 hours. Then he says this, Many people are absolutely confident of the sweet by and by, but they're terrified by the nasty now and now. 
A lot of us have faith for the sweet by and by, but we don't have faith for the nasty now and now. And worry displeases our Heavenly Father because it diminishes His loving care for us. Think about this. God's a person. God's our Father. And what if your children never trusted you, were worried all the time, that you were never going to take care of them? How would it make you feel? It diminishes His care for us. Let's trust Him more. God is infinitely worthy of our trust. What's that song we sang this morning, that beautiful old hymn? Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him. How I've proved Him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. Oh, for grace to trust Him more. Spend time in His Word and your faith will grow and increase. And look back at how He's been faithful to you in life time and time again. And allow that to build and bolster uh, your faith and your trust in Him. There's a story told by Vance Havner, the old Baptist preacher. I've told this a bunch of times. If you're tired of hearing it, that's fine. I enjoyed reading it. I'll enjoy hearing it if none of you all do. But it's about an older lady, and she had a lot of health problems, and she went to the doctor time and time again. And finally, the doctor looked at her one day and said, I'm sorry, ma'am, but there's nothing more we can do for you. I'm afraid you're just going to have to trust God. She looked at him and says, oh, no, doctor. She says, has it finally come to that? And Vance Havner points out that it always comes to that, so we might as well begin with that. When you think about it, all of life is a matter of trusting God. All of life is. And trusting God vanquishes our worry. Now, a fifth reason not to worry is that worry is unworthy in verses 31 to 33. Our worry belittles God. Think about that. It belittles Him. When we worry... Jesus says here, we're really acting like a pagan. We're acting like an unbeliever. I mean, worry is natural for unbelievers, right? They don't have a God to trust in. They don't have a heavenly father that they trust in each day. But we have a heavenly father, and that should make all the difference in how we handle life. Think about this. Worried people, worried believers are thinking untheologically about life because they're leaving God out. Their, their whole frame of mind is untheological. They're, they're leaving God out of the picture. The cure for worry is God. The cure for worry is not some steps we go through. The cure for worry is a person. It's our Heavenly Father. Now, most of us here probably had a good mom and a good dad growing up. I mean, it, for those of you who didn't have that, we hurt for you, and I know that's difficult. But for me, my father's a good man. I mean, he took care of us, and he still takes care of us. And I have to say that all my years growing up as a child, never once did I worry about my next meal. I never worried if the house payment got paid. I never worried if uh, the electric bill got paid. I never worried if I had clothes to wear. That was his problem, right? That's the good thing about being a kid, right? It's their problem. You let them uh, be concerned about that. But I knew my dad would work hard. And I trusted him to provide for us. And you and I have a heavenly father, much, much greater than any father that we have on earth. And you and I can trust him. We can trust him to take care of us and meet our needs. You know, one of the things I see today, maybe as much as anything, is is with young mothers today, with children at home. See a lot of young mothers today, believers who are crippled and paralyzed with worry. There's so many things out there in our culture to be concerned about um, that just, again, as I mentioned earlier, just the toxic environment that's out there. What are you going to do about school and educating your children? Growing up in this culture, we're in all the things we see on TV all the time. And many of them are just crippled and paralyzed with worry every day. And, and, you know, it's a good thing to ask yourself, how much do you care for your children? How much are you concerned for their welfare every day? Do you think God is less concerned than you are? Do you think somehow you're, you're greater than God and your concern for your children? No, God is infinitely more than we are. Hudson Taylor, who founded the China Inland Mission, served in China for 50 years. He went there as a young man. He got married. He came back to England, had children, and he took his children there with him. And many people questioned that. They questioned him taking his children that far away and wondered whether, uh, what was going to happen to them. Here's what Hudson Taylor said. I'm taking my children with me, and I notice it's not difficult for me to remember that the little ones need breakfast in the morning, dinner at midday, and something before they go to bed at night. Indeed, I could not forget it. 
And I find it impossible to suppose that our Heavenly Father is less tender or mindful than I. I do not believe that our Heavenly Father will ever forget His children. I am a very poor father, but it's not my habit to forget my children. God is a very, very good father. It is not His habit to forget His children. It's beautiful, isn't it? God is a very, very good father. It's not His habit to forget His children. Never forget that. Well, notice verse 33. This is a verse many of us know. Seek first His kingdom and righteousness. All these things will be added to you. Of course, the all these things are not everything we want in life. It's the all these things in verse 32 where He said, the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. They pursue them. That's what their whole life's about, food and clothing and, and drink. He says, your Father knows you need them, but you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things. Again, the necessities, not the luxuries, but these things will be added to you. Now, it's not wrong to seek these things, but he's saying it's a matter of priority. Seek first God's rule and God's righteousness. It's in the present tense in the Greek. It means it's continuous. It's the unceasing quest of life to seek God's interests and God's affairs. We don't have time this morning to flesh out this idea of His kingdom and His righteousness, but it's God's rule and God's righteousness. Basically, it means God's business, God's affairs, God's interests. And he's saying if we commit ourselves to God, God will commit Himself to us. If we take care of His business and put His business first, He'll take care of our business. We see the same thing earlier in Matthew 6. The pattern of the Lord's Prayer, the first three requests are about God, our Father who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then what does it move to? Then give us this day our daily bread. It's God first, seeking Him first, and then our needs being met. Back during uh, the reign of Queen Elizabeth I, there was a busy merchant that was chosen by her to fulfill a, a mission as an ambassador. And informed of this honor, he asked to be excused from it because he knew it would cause him monetary loss and, and interfere with his supervision of his uh, large and growing business. But Queen Elizabeth said this to him, you look after my business abroad and I will look after your business at home. So the man accepted the appointment. He was gone several years and when he returned, he found that the queen, true to her word, had taken care of his business far better than he ever could have taken care of it. What God is saying to us here is, take care of my business, and I will take care um, of your business. Well, the final reason Jesus gives to stop worrying here in verse 34 is that worry is unbearable. Do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, this tells us that life isn't always going to be smooth sailing. Life's going to be filled with troubles. It, it assumes we will have trouble and that each day has troubles of its own. But the point here is we're to live one day at a time and not bring tomorrow into today. This has been called by some anticipatory anxiety. Jesus says, don't borrow from tomorrow. Leave tomorrow's problems until tomorrow because it's too much for you to bring it into today. It's unbearable. Someone put it like this, worry doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrows, but it empties today of its strength. There's grace for today, and there will be grace for tomorrow, but there is no grace for living both today and tomorrow today. Let me say that again. There is grace for today, and God will provide grace to for tomorrow. But there's no grace for living both today and tomorrow today. We weren't made for that. One theologian called this wandering in times not our own. A lot of us spend a lot of our time wandering in times not our own. Now, this is not a prohibition about planning for the future. The Bible affirms that, but it's a prohibition against worrying about the future. In his, uh, in his book, Traveling Light, Max Lucado tells this story. He says, more than 80 years ago, a great Canadian man of medicine, Sir William Osler, delivered a speech to the students at Yale University entitled, A Way of Life. In the message, he related an event that occurred while he was aboard an ocean liner. One day while he was visiting with the ship's captain, a loud piercing alarm sounded, followed by strange grinding and crashing sounds below the deck. 
Those are our watertight compartments closing, the captain said. It's an important part of our safety drill. In case of real trouble, water leaking into one compartment would not affect the rest of the ship. Even if we should collide with an iceberg, as did the Titanic, water rushing in will fill only that particular ruptured compartment. The ship, however, will still remain afloat. So when he spoke to the students at Yale, Osler remembered the captain's description of that boat, and he said this, Each one of you is certainly a much more marvelous organization than a great liner and bound on a far longer voyage. What I urge is that you learn to master your life by living each day in a day-tight compartment. And this will certainly ensure your safety throughout your entire journey of life. Touch a button, and here at every level of your life, the iron door is shutting out the past, the dead yesterdays. Touch another and shut off with a metal curtain the future, the unborn tomorrows. Then you are safe, safe for today. Think not of the amount to be accomplished, the difficulties to be overcome, but set earnestly at the little task near your elbow, letting that be sufficient for the day. For surely our plain duty is not to see what lies dimly at a distance, but to do what lies clearly at hand. Jesus actually summarized that in a lot less words, didn't he? Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will have its own worries. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Whenever you begin to worry, that's a great mental image. Touch a button, if you will, and here at every level of your life, the, un, the, the iron door is shutting out the past, shutting out the dead yesterdays. And touch another button, and here the iron door closes and shutting out the unborn tomorrows. And live each day, as Osler called it, in a daytight compartment. Just living today, living what's at your elbow, the plain duty that lies at hand. Shut the door of your life every day and live in that airtight compartment. Look, Jesus' message for us here this morning is very simple and straightforward, but very powerful for us. Stop worrying. Stop it. It's sin. It's actually scandalous. It's a, it's a scandal in heaven for us to worry that our Heavenly Father will take care of us and meet our needs. Worry's ungodly. It's unbecoming. It's unproductive. It's unbelief. It's unworthy. It's unbearable. God didn't make us to live two days at a time. Seek God's interests first. Put His business first in your life. Live one day at a time in an airtight compartment and focus on the greatness and the goodness of our Heavenly Father. Trust Him. He deserves much, much more than little faith. Let's pray together. If there is anyone here this morning you've never trusted in Jesus as your Savior, you don't have God as your Heavenly Father, come right now in your heart and your mind and believe in Jesus as your Savior from sin, the one who bore your sin dead on the cross, rose again on the third day. Receive that free gift of eternal life and the forgiveness of your sins. You can do it right now, right where you sit. You can take Jesus to be your Savior and take God as your Heavenly Father. Well, Father, for those of us who know you, and certainly, Father, you know the times in which we live. You know it much better than we do. But help us to trust you and keep good worries from becoming bad worries. Help us to care and be concerned about the things that concern you. But help those good worries, Father, not to degenerate into the bad worries that pull us apart. Father, help us to think thoughts that are worthy of you. We thank you that you're our Heavenly Father. And because of that, we have nothing to worry about. Well, Father, you're great. You're worthy of great faith and great trust. May we trust you more. Stop worrying. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing
Amen. Well, thank you all so much for being with us here this morning. Um, if you are visiting with us, go out these double doors down a little ways on your right. And uh, there's a welcome center there. There's some folks there that'd love to greet you and uh, give you some more information about our church. Um, again, we're going to study, uh, begin the study of the book of Daniel next week. So I'm, I'm fired up about that, excited about that. So I pray you will be as well. And you can begin to go ahead and, and, and read ahead uh, for that study. Um, I'll be down front here after the service. Our elders who are present will be down front as well. Uh, we'd love the opportunity to get acquainted, uh, maybe uh, pray with you this morning or hear about a, a great uh, blessing in your life. If there's just something you'd like to share with us, we'd love to meet you this morning. Let's bow our heads for the benediction as we leave here uh, with the Lord's blessing upon us. Now may the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit go with you all. All God's people said... Amen.